from a science point of view, I'm trying to remember my high school physics and Mr. Elsom saying, giving us the formula for acceleration. What is that formula? The definition of acceleration in physics is the rate of change of velocity. Velocity is a vector, so it has direction and it has magnitude. You can be going north and then you can be going east, even though you're still going 20 miles an hour, because your direction has changed, you have acceleration. You can also go from 10 miles an hour north to 20 miles an hour north in five seconds, which means your velocity has increased. Therefore, you have accelerated. And you could also go from 20 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour north, which is also a change. So that's also acceleration. Because a bunny crosses the road. Maybe you pass a police officer. Yes, because 20 miles an hour was way too fast. Better slow down. Slow down this, of course, was when you're driving your Model T back in 1912. That thing is cooking. It's the bee's knees, that struggle buggy of yours. So, welcome to Opposite of Neutral. I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. Evan is an engineer by training and a teacher by trade. He has taught in New York City, China, and Saigon. Evan spent his youth in suburban Ohio. I've never been to Ohio. So I want to know, Evan, what is the best thing about being a teen in suburban Ohio? And what was the worst thing? You know that I'm a ham radio operator. I had no, no idea. None whatsoever. Okay, so this is history being made right now. I got my ham radio license when I was in seventh grade. So this is 1995. I was listening to shortwave radio and I thought it was so cool. And my dad actually shared that I could use radio to talk to people all around the world. And I said, sign me up because I get a microphone and I can talk to people. Like you're doing now. So exactly. But then it was with a wire and a giant electronic box with flashy lights and knobs and turning things and switches. So I learned a lot of the theory. I read a bunch of books. I learned Morse code so that I could pass the test. So it's strange right now that I'm thinking that that is the coolest part about being in suburban Ohio, because I could have, I guess, done that anywhere. But it is a thing that I did as a teen in suburban Ohio so I think that is the bee's knees. All right. Chris Wolf taught social studies and history for a number of years at the high school level. I think only at the high school level. In schools in Washington, Qatar, and Vietnam, which is where we met. Uh, Chris is flexible, adventurous, open-minded, and level-headed. He's the sort of person you want around when exploring the world. And his only weakness... As far as I know, the kryptonite to his Superman is that he cannot be in the same room as a hard-boiled egg. So true. Easter is one of my least favorite holidays for that very reason. I thought about you as we hard-boiled eggs on Easter. Absolutely not. Oh, I'm just cringing just thinking about it. Ooh. I also think about all the times when at lunch, when we would be sitting in the kiosk at school, you would see an egg in my bowl and you would 
not get any closer than maybe eight feet. And you would nod and you would smile and you would wait. I would also turn away and like let you finish before I came over too. I think I remember the reason had to do with your childhood and car trips and hard-boiled eggs. Yeah, you know, when you go camping and you've eaten that hard-boiled egg and it's maybe not so good anymore. It could also be from Easter because we'd have the Easter eggs and they would sit in our fridge for sometimes a couple of weeks. And I don't know how long a hard-boiled egg is good for. I would say never, but I think a couple of weeks is far too long for a hard-boiled egg. Are you ready to accelerate away from hard-boiled eggs? Yeah, we can change this topic at any time. Well, I was thinking about acceleration. The thing that came to mind right away for me was Moore's Law. I'm talking about Gordon Gordo Moore. I don't know that people called him Gordo. Call him Gordo. The former chairman and I think a co-founder of Intel. And Moore's Law is that the number of transistors that could be placed on a microchip would double regularly over time. He came up with this in the 60s and said that over time, the technology for packing transistors on a chip would actually increase geometrically in that the number of transistors would double at regular intervals, meaning that if it took 10 years to be able to go from 100 to 200 transistors, that the following 10 years, it would go from 200 to 400. The effect of this was not just an increase in computer power, which we can think of as the number of calculations per second, but it's a rate of increase of computer power. The acceleration of computer power is why we are able to put computers in our pockets now and in watches and in teeny things that we stuff into our ears and maybe our glasses one day. Where did that story no, lead you, that, though, Evan? The idea that Moore's Law and the increase in computer power over time is what enables technology to change and accelerate the way it has. We've seen an acceleration of artificial intelligence just in the past few months. The first one was introduced by Google, and that was six years ago, I think. And it's now in all of the technology things that I read. It's AI, 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 AI. It's accelerating. And are we keeping up with the acceleration? That's the big question. I bring that up like because I think about like the acceleration in a physical form. I think of like, for example, skateboarding and riding. Have you ever ridden down a steep hill on a skateboard and then you start to get the speed wobbles? And as you get the speed wobbles, you're sort of forced to make that choice. Can you stay on the board and ride it all the way through or can you still bail and step off the board without risk of injury? And I wonder where we are with this sort of acceleration as a society with the AI. Are we able to keep up or is it going faster than we can handle it? I think it's changing a bit too fast. We don't know how we're handling it. I mean, I wasn't teaching at the time when it came out. I knew that some schools were immediately blocking ChatGPT. They were immediately blocking it and saying, we can't handle this. And there was a lot of pushback 
from the places that we're doing this. But I actually said, if we don't have time to talk about how we're going to handle something like this, because it's changing so quickly, it might be good to just hit the brakes and say, you know what, let's wait. This came out the end of November last year. Most schools were probably headed toward final exams the end of the semester. And so from a teaching standpoint, having this thing thrown out there in the busiest time of the entire semester was a terrible thing. And I think it was okay for schools to be able to say, let's wait, let's just use the winter break to kind of chill out, figure out how we feel about this. And then maybe second semester, we can have some policy that makes sense once we've had some time to wrap around the issue. A lot of people are having trouble with it. I struggle with it. I have conversations all the time about this. It's changing very quickly. And people's excitement very quickly met with the dangers of having this technology available without some awareness of what it can be used for, what we want it to be used for, and what we don't want it to be used for. Absolutely. That is sort of the natural jump that we've been making when we talk about AI. I think about almost every science fiction film that I've seen with artificial intelligence, from Terminator to Blade Runner, there is always a fear of the artificial intelligence somehow surpassing us because we can't keep up with it, that it's moving faster than we can understand. And by the time we are making policies about change, it has already changed itself. It has already, like you said, by the time January rolled around, AI has already developed past the policy that we wanted to make about whatever it was like in November. It's crazy. Now, the one thing that I will say, the reverse of acceleration, deceleration, is actually the thing I want to talk about because there was news made, I think, yesterday when Sam Altman, CEO or head of, of OpenAI, he actually said that they are not working on a GPT-5 right now, that the age of bigger and bigger language models, like what we see in GPT-4, he actually said that it's, it's over, we're moving on to other things, which I think puts a pause. It is what we want to have happen so that we can wrap our heads around what it does, what we can use it for, how we can use it for good, and how we can help keep it from being used for evil using all of the tools that we have at our disposal. You know, I think about decelerating. I don't know what it is. It could be that I'm, I'm getting older. It could be being a parent. It could be that I'm on a year off. It could be that we're in the post-COVID lockdown age. I don't know. But slowing down and decelerating is on my mind a lot. Like, how do we slow down, not just AI, but in everything? How do we just be sensible about applying the brakes and slowing down when we can? What do you do to slow down, Chris? Breathing. I'm a big fan of the deep breath. There's deep cleansing breaths that can sort of mark a reset. And sometimes that is when I feel my heart rate speeding up 
accelerating there. I feel when I've been cut off in traffic, whatever it might be, those breaths, I think, are important in your everyday. But are you talking bigger picture than that? I like that idea of the reset. I remember when I went home for the first time post-COVID in 2021, the, f- the thing that I did in the morning after we arrived was I walk just outside the front door on the cold ground and I just stood there and my feet were freezing. They were going numb, but it was a really nice way to be in the moment and feel cold, which I hadn't felt in a long time. And that slowed me down and made me realize I'm here with my family for the first time in a long time. And I really want to slow down and enjoy this. I know that feeling. Like, yeah, I'm in a year of slow right now. The pace of my life, the rhythm of my life is a lot slower for a number of reasons. Some of them intentional, some of them unintentional. But when we talk about this whole thing, this idea of slowing down, it is rather important. Right now, I'm for the first time seeing spring in the climate that I'm in. Qatar and Vietnam had a different kind of spring. Here, I'm seeing leaves starting to emerge on trees, which I haven't seen for a very long time. It's kind of a beautiful thing. I live in the Skagit Valley, and right now, the tulip season is beginning. And so we're seeing tulips emerging. So you're seeing all that the process of nature and being connected to that nature is very important when you're thinking about this, that like you want to slow down, you want to be at the pace of the world in some ways. And by the world, I mean the natural world, not the world we're trying to create, the frenzied, fast-paced city. Because I do go to Seattle, and I feel the pace faster there. But right now, I can sit on my couch, I can look outside, I've got some squirrels and birds, and I'm seeing through the changing of the seasons around me. And it is a w- good way to slow down and say, this is the pace of the world works at? And can I be at that pace as well? And it's made even more intense for me here because Nora has never seen spring. And so we were still in Portugal. Josie took Nora on a walk and they went around to see signs of spring. And so they looked at the buds on the trees. They looked at the flowers. They looked at the leaves. It slows me down to see her taking these moments and appreciating that this is her first time seeing all these things in nature. Nature is, I think you're right, the best way to see the pace of something that doesn't accelerate. It's consistent. Climate change aside, I guess, we see this repetition, the cyclical nature of nature and I think that that definitely slows us down. Absolutely. As much as we might want it to accelerate sometimes, because right now it's mid-April and it is absolutely cold. We're in the low 40s, high 30s here, got cold winds blowing, and it it's like winter is still holding on, and I'm really ready for spring. I'm ready for nice, warm spring days, but you can't speed up that process. The only way you can speed it up is by going somewhere else. It's not warm yet. 
but it's definitely on its way. You will see spring, Chris. I know. And that's a process I can't stop. But I was thinking about this <laughs> idea, can we speed up certain processes? Like, and I was thinking about this idea of acting as an accelerant. And by processes, I mean things like friendships. So when I think about friendships, how do you accelerate? Because I'm currently, I'm repatriating, and which means I need to make friends. And how do you accelerate friendships? Is there a way to make those things go faster? So let me ask you that, Evan. Do you feel like there is something that helps make that bond of friendship happen faster? Totally. Ditch small talk. You get to the interesting questions. But you can't skip the small talk. I feel like you have to go through that phase. You have to be able to have the small talk to figure out where you stand. Is this someone who's going to be a conversationalist? Is this where your relationships are going to be? You need the small talk. Maybe I view it more as you have to exhaust the small talk quickly because that gets you some of what you need to know whether a conversation is going to go anywhere. It was this way with our group in Portugal. There were a lot of people there and within the circle, there was small talk. There's no way getting around it, but there were also lots of opportunities for conversations about nomadic life and moving around with kids and what we're doing on this year off and why. And I think getting to that real story is a big part of just ripping off the mandate and saying, this is who I am. These are my experiences right now. If it jibes with you, great. If it doesn't, okay, that's fine. The moment we could have those conversations about why we were there and what we were looking for, it suddenly made the small talk like sort of bubble away. So I think about, is the expat life more conducive to friendships? having taught in international schools, like you're sort of thrust together, these people, and you're there for a purpose. Your purpose is to teach, but your purpose is there to explore the world and be somewhere new and different. You're all together for a shared purpose. And like you're saying about your group in Portugal, yes, you might be there for different reasons, but in the end, you're in Portugal from all these places around the world for the shared experience of being somewhere new and experiencing new things. And I think that sort of acts as an accelerant. You could also make the argument I that we... alcohol acts as an accelerant as well. You talk about being in a bar. Sometimes you loosen those inhibitions and you can get past that small talk and into sort of these deeper conversations. Like we talked about in the first episode about how hardships bring people together. This isn't really a hardship. I think what expat life does is it takes you out of your comfort zone. You're looking to be out of your comfort zone. And knowing that other people are also out of their comfort zone leads to a common purpose that, that allows for these deeper conversations. Like talking about adventures, talking about catastrophic failures, like what are you proud of? Getting into our pride conversation. Like these are the sorts of questions that I've had people ask very early on in our interactions, and it's a little disarming when you have this small talk and then suddenly someone says, what were you most proud of over the last five years? But with the right person and maybe with some alcohol, it doesn't feel that way. That definitely accelerates the conversation and it accelerates the relationship. 
So it's interesting because you need sort of that balance. I'm thinking back to growing up being a teenager. So one of the questions I you know asked about growing up in suburban Ohio, I think about my teenage years, part of me looking back on it, very happy as a teen and growing up in Spokane, Washington. But the other part was like, I cannot wait to get older. I cannot wait to be out of here, go see the world, explore the world, get out of this small city in Washington state and just sort of see what else is out there. But I wanted my life to begin. Not that, you know, your teenage years are wasted years. You're obviously growing in, in that time, but you're, you're also very impatient years. And that sort of balance that I'm thinking about, like, how do you accelerate those processes? You can't accelerate the process of growing up. I can think of some ways like, like you lose your parents and suddenly you are growing up very fast. But there's that balance between patience and the desire to move things forward quicker. Because like you said with those questions, with the right person in the right setting, the questions you ask someone beyond small talk could be very good and rewarding and create a friendship. The other way it could go is like people could hear those questions and think, who is this guy? Where is this guy coming from? Maybe he's moving too fast in this relationship. Well, and the questions can, could induce anxiety when you don't have answers. You get to a new place, you need to be in a different scenario in order to break out of the mindset in the place you were before. This is why people will, will go on vacations or a year off in a brand new place because a chance to think things through in a completely different environment. That's what this year off is about. I know we've talked about it. I wasn't sure at the end of last school year, did I want to teach? Did I want to start a business? Did I want to consult? Did I want to write a book? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it took a lot of time to sort of try a few things and have conversations and explore in a completely new place how I felt about all of these questions and all of these options. And being in that new place definitely accelerated my decision-making process because I had new eyes. I had a new perspective, but it also took time. There was no way to accelerate, for example, our shipment of things from Vietnam to Cleveland, which was supposed to be the start of our year off. Like the, Once our stuff arrived in Cleveland, then we could sort of begin our vacation, begin our year off. We were just sort of waiting for that to happen. But that was completely out of our control. I guess what I'm getting at here is that there are a lot of things that you can accelerate by being in a new place. And that's often what the expat life is. That's what we enjoy about meeting people all over the place is that they have such stories to tell and and just hearing other people's stories, it does something to you in making you think about what you've done and just asking yourself again how you feel about the the places you've been, the people you've met, and the things that you've done. That's very insightful, Evan. I'm currently thinking about this whole balance of patience. Like you want things to happen faster, but you don't want to miss the moments. That could be a friendship. I'm also thinking about things like healing. When you need to heal, when you need a, a process, you want to be 
whole and healed again. But at the same time, it is a natural process, but you wish there was some accelerant to make that process faster. When you're talking about what you wanted, I see that as a healing as well. Can you heal what's inside you and figure out what you need? And it's going to take a process, but what can you control and what can't you control? And when I think back my teenage years, for example, you know, you get older day by day and those are things that you can't control. Eventually you'll become 18. Eventually you'll become 21. Eventually you'll become 48 years old. And once you hit 48, you'll say, whoa, what happened to that time? You know, how is it that this year I should be have my 30th high school reunion? Was it really 30 years ago that I was in high school? And the answer is amazingly, yes, it was. So what happened to the time? What happened to that process? You can start listing all the things that have happened since then. Because I get into that yeah. thought too. And I, and, and I realize, well, let's go all the way back to high school. Think about who you were in high school. Think about how you've changed since then. It does seem like it has gone quickly. And at the same time, I see the transformations that have happened since high school. And I don't think it could have happened faster than it did. I'm glad the way things have kind of panned out. I would not have wanted to accelerate to this point in time. I hear that. I think she had a friend post that on Facebook recently. Oh, 30 years. Where did that go? And I thought to myself, well, two kids, marriage, college, you know, city council, Vietnam, guitar, like suddenly you you do have this whole you start thinking about all the different things you have done the places you've been the world that you've created for yourself and your family you're absolutely right you wouldn't want to speed that up you wouldn't want to change that that time is precious but maybe we don't all have that same feeling for some people if you ask someone what their proudest thing in the last five years was and they don't have anything they're proud of that's Someone looking back those five years and thinking, what did I do? What didn't I do? And that's where it becomes tough. But luckily, I feel like we've got things to be proud of. Looking at this year that we've had away from teaching, and I think the fact that you decided to start a podcast with a good friend is a good place to start. That's a very good decision. I play this game every once in a while with myself, and I say, if you could redo your 30s, or your 20s, or just pick a, pick a period of time. And my answer inevitably becomes no. Like I would not do it again because I liked it the first time. Of course, you would make different choices in some cases because we have 2020 hindsight. But I can't imagine doing all of the mundane things from 20 to 30 again. I wouldn't want to do that. I liked how it turned out. There were ups, there were downs, there were a good time was had by all. There was laughing, there was crying. You know, I'm glad we're here and I hope we have a lot of time before we move on to the next phase of existence. Not going to rush the process, not going to accelerate it. I don't know if I've ever told you about this. Do you know Adam Savage from Mythbusters? No. Tell me about it. Adam Savage is a maker. And he makes all kinds of things. And that's part of what was fun about Mythbusters is them getting to make all of this equipment to test myths. But 
Adam Savage also tries to recreate movie props and different things from different periods of time, using foam, using lights, using metal, all the things that he has available. And he wrote a book called Every Tool's a Hammer. And it's a book about making things and different kinds of tools. But it's also a book about life. And with every maker tip that he comes up with, he comes up with an analogy for life. And there's a section all about cooling fluid. Imagine the excitement of a chapter about cooling fluid. The thing about cooling fluid is that if you're drilling a hole and you drill it too fast, that steel bit can basically heat up, change the physical properties from this really hard steel to bendy elastic steel that will just break like silly putty. And cooling fluid removes some of the friction and it takes some of the heat away. And taking some of the heat away prevents that physical change in the drill bit from happening. So this in the book goes on unnecessarily long, just like this description. But his analogy is that putting in the time to add cooling fluid while you're drilling, and if you put some time in between drilling the holes, you're actually going to be able to drill the hole in this metal. If you add this cooling fluid to take away some of the friction and, and the heat, it makes it possible so that you don't break down. And I think about these ways that we artificially add friction to what we do to make it so that we have time to relax and think about what it is we're doing. You use a paper notebook for that very reason, don't you? Oh, I love paper notebooks. In fact, I've got notebooks of notebooks. I like taking the time to write things down on paper because slowing down to write something down on paper is more meaningful. I think about things like that as the cooling fluid. The things that you can do that force you to slow down and appreciate the things that are going on around you. That's important. One thing that I do as well is that at the end of every day, I write down my highlight of the day. What was the best thing that happened? And sometimes that's a paragraph. Sometimes it's a single word. Sometimes I struggle to find anything at all, but it does make me stop, reflect upon the day. I write it down and in doing so, it helps you remember it better. It helps me enjoy it better. You know, you talk about the use of a notebook. I can take notes on my computer. I can take notes on my phone. I find that the notes that I write down are the things that I remember. The very act of writing helps me engage my mind. It helps it stick in a way that it doesn't with a computer. I've used little notebooks in the past, and, and those are good for like quick ideas and things in meetings. Like I wrote down things from parent-teacher conferences one year. Just one thing from each student that they were excited about, that was going well. And it really changed how I felt at the end of conferences. Oh, I wanted to tell you my electric car story, Chris. Electric car story? Yeah. Our family traveled to the Jurassic Coast in the UK. We got back last week. And our goal was to look for fossils. So I only drive an automatic transmission. I rented an automatic transmission car and I booked it for Friday pickup before Easter weekend. 
And it was at a, an airport rental place because it was half the price. So we arrived there and the one automatic car that they had was an electric car. I've driven hybrids and I have driven an electric car a quick test ride, but I was very excited about this because it's a whole different driving paradigm. Obviously, what you want to do in a new car is you want to push it and you want to see what it can do. Yes. You want to gun it. And I floored it in a couple of cases. You know, it feels differently in an electric car, but it, it has pretty good pickup. I also discovered two days after driving it that there are these little paddles on the steering wheel that you can hit that take it from level zero, which is what I had been driving it in, to level one, two, three, and four, which take off some of the smooth acceleration and just lets you floor it and you feel the thing. But the issue of this car is I had my whole family in the car. I would see everybody lurch forward and I'm like, I can't do this. I had the ability to accelerate, but there were some very good reasons why I shouldn't accelerate as quickly as I could because we didn't want to puke. Not puking is definitely a good thing. So I guess this couldn't even be how we tie this up. We always have ways to accelerate. We always have accelerators. Those things in life that make us want to go faster. And there are decelerators, which are either just slowing us down or they're keeping us from accelerating the way we would want to. Some of those decelerators are good. The friction, the taking the time to slow down, to appreciate the pace. And some of those, they get in the way. I am glad that I didn't make my family puke. We had a lovely trip. It was a lot of fun. So in the end, I'm glad that I did not floor this car. I'm glad you didn't either, Evan. I look forward to trying one out myself sometime. It's pretty awesome. There's some very interesting algorithms and control systems going on behind the scenes to make that work. I look forward to the future, but I'm not going to rush it. Speaking about not rushing, actually, no, this has oh. nothing to do with not rushing. Speaking of fossils, you know, so we hunted fossils. We saw Stonehenge on the drive home from the Jurassic Coast. And these led me to think of our topic for next time. Ooh, what's that? I find it amazing that these creatures have survived hundreds of millions of years, stuck, unseen by anybody. These fossils, they have stood the test of time. And you know what else has stood the test of time, Chris? What's that? Stonehenge. You know what else stands the test of time? What could it be? Tillamook cheese. And you know what else stands the test of time, Chris? Our friendship. You know it does. Yeah. Well, until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Evan. And this is The Opposite of Neutral. Go on, everybody. Bye.